the Cake Adjacent Podcast, a once-a-week update on all things food, family, community, gardening, whatever. We call it Sidecar. If it has to do with rituals around food and holidays, making food or taking it places, or remembering what we were eating during important times in our lives, we'll talk about it here. Hello, my friends. So there is a lot of stuff going on right now, and none of it is good. And I'm going to work very hard to keep Sidecar as on topic as possible. Not because I think we need something frivolous in order to forget the evil that's happening around us, but because I believe that we are going to be fighting, continuing to fight on so many fronts. And for this 20 plus minutes, we're just going to take a breath. The fight will still be there when you're done listening. But there's one thing I wanted to remind you of. Sea otters nap float in the water and they wrap themselves up in the kelp and they clasp their paws with one another so that one doesn't float away or get caught in a current and swept away. I cannot always make sense of what happened this week, this year, these last few years, this last decade, but I can make sure my goddamn paw is out there so that we are all safe and together when we rest. This week has been a week of storms, both meteorological and political, and for the first time in a long time, I didn't get a phone call from Lyme, either warning me about the storm heading our way or asking how we weathered it. We live in what we affectionately call a snow hole, where storms tend to be west, north, south, or east of us. Sometimes just a few miles in any direction will have a few more inches of snow or a much more violent storm, which was the case this week, with wind and hail and lots of trees down. They're still cleaning up out Warrington where we go to the farmer's market on Saturdays from a storm on Wednesday. So there was all of this weather, and I am vigilant about keeping an eye on all my weather apps and sending texts and messages to my people when it looks like a big storm is coming in. But I used to get a heads up from 500 miles away. And in a way, I think our snow hole could also be a metaphor for our white, educated, middle-class privilege. That's probably a topic for another day. Last Sunday was Father's Day, and I've been so lucky to have had two fathers, three really, the one I was born with, who also was the one who got sober when I was 12, and the one who came into my life that same year and became my stepfather several years later. So today, Saturday, June 25th, would have been my beloved stepfather's 91st birthday. I think I've talked about him before, but Gordy came into our lives like most of our animals, brought home as a stray by my father. He had been living in Sweden with his sailing partner and their daughter, but because they were not married, he couldn't stay and had to return to the United States. He worked on Fisher's Island as the estate caretaker and sailboat manager for John Callie, whose name you might not know, but you absolutely know his work. A Clockwork Orange, The Towering Inferno, The Exorcist, Dog Day Afternoon, Dirty Harry, All the President's Men, Blazing Saddles, Superman, and Chariots of Fire. Gordy was estranged from his first family, a daughter and son out in California, and dad was newly sober and the two of them became friends. Dad thought to invite him to all of our holidays and weekends off the island, and Gordy never really left. 
In retrospect, I don't know if dad did that because he felt bad for Gordy or if he did it because he didn't know how to be part of the family if he wasn't drinking. And so he had to mix it up a bit by adding another person. But in any event, Gordy became part of this new paradigm in our household, this more sober one. Mom did not get sober, but she did not have quite the drinking problem dad did. And Kath had gone off to college and started her own life away from the house, and she never really returned to live in the house in Lyme again. Gordy was at every holiday and long weekend, always up for whatever we were doing, fireworks at the elementary school playing fields, picnic suppers at Harkness State Park with live classical music, parades, holiday meals, whatever it was. And he brought the best gifts. He brought me a cold frame one year so I could grow lettuce earlier and later in the season, a stunt kite, puzzles, science kits, lots and lots of books. And as I got older, they were always practical gifts. For years and years, he paid for my AAA membership. And for one Thanksgiving, he called ahead and he asked if he could bring a guest. Of course, my parents said, why not? And who? Oh, he said, it's Redford. He has no place to go. And I feel bad about leaving him out here on the island alone on the holiday. Redford, Mom asked. Yeah, Bob Redford. You know, he's an actor. He's in one of John's movies. My mother just about died right then. Redford ended up not coming to Thanksgiving, though. He didn't want to impose. But boy, we talked about it for years. When my father left my mother the year I turned 21, we always joked that Mom got Gordy in the divorce. While Dad and Gordy were friendly to each other when they saw one another at family functions like weddings and birthday parties for Alex, Gordy had clearly chosen mom's side of things. They stayed friends for years, and when Gordy's father and then stepmother were dying in New Jersey, Gordy would use the house in Lyme as his halfway point when traveling down to manage them and then their estates. Eventually, Gordy stopped coming and going. He left the job on Fisher's Island and just stayed with mom. They married, and they were together until Gordy died last June 2nd. This podcast won't even begin to do him justice. I could do a whole series on just the stories he told at the dinner table. That same table, in that same room, in that same house, where I was subjected to so much trauma as a child. But with him there, it was a completely different place. When I visited, I would sit with him for hours over our breakfast or dinner plates. It's safe to say that having Gordy helped my relationship with my mother, as well as my relationship with food and dinner tables. I do have a lot of unresolved whatever about not being able to see him or talk to him or be with him when he drifted away from us last year, and some of that I put on my mother, and we'll see if that ever gets resolved. She forgot that while he was hers, he wasn't just hers. He belonged to me and Lisa and Kathy, too. One thing, though, that I wish he knew was that my stepsister Lisa, who lives in Sweden with her two boys, we found our way to each other, and we're family now, and he would be so pleased by that. And he'd love this podcast, too. Here are a few things about him that I'd love for you to know about him. He was 90 when he died, and he had a really full and rich life, and if you asked him, he might be hard-pressed to say he'd change anything, even though he would readily admit that he made mistakes because people are imperfect beings, and he never stopped trying to improve his relationships with his family. He loved nature and the ocean and sailing and German shepherd dogs and birds. He spent most of his 
on land life, figuring out how to keep squirrels out of the bird feeder, rabbits out of the garden on Fisher's Island, and raccoons out of everything. He had the greatest collection of naturalist texts, and Catherine and Mom spent most of them between me and Alex. He was passionate about so many things and was a voracious reader and consumer of information. And he was such a great source of answers on almost any question, especially the weather. He's the one who would call with the weather updates and warnings, and every visit up and back included a full 12 hours in each direction's weather report, so there were never any surprises on the road. The exception being computer questions. That was always our domain, no pun intended. And for every computer issue we fixed while visiting, we got a free meal, which became a long-running joke in the family. He loved blueberries and bacon bits and lemon curd and cherry jam, and sometimes he ate all of those things together, and Catherine's coconut cake and the sweet pepper relish we made special for him every year, and pie of any sort, and anything that mom would make for him. He was devoted to his kitties, Max, Celeste, Linus, and Foster, and over the years, one of his greatest joys was this ridiculous calendar I would make of all of our cats, and he loved that I would make it early enough so I could send it for Thanksgiving so he could populate it early with all of his next year's appointments and obligations. He loved his family the best ways he knew how. Again, he was always trying to do it better, and he got great joy from FaceTiming with his grandsons in Sweden every week. I miss him terribly in his kind of crazy weirdo ways, and another running joke in the family was wondering whether he was actually an alien sent to study the human race and get all of mom's recipes before being called home to his planet. And I guess he finally cataloged them all. So on this day, his birthday, I invite you to do any of the following to celebrate with me and my sisters, Catherine and my stepsisters, Lisa and Kathy. Check your crazy tick file with all the ticks you've ever found taped to an index card and dated. Give your cats at least 20 minutes each of hardcore brushies. Check the Weather Channel website at least 10 times a day. Feed the birds, including making some hummingbird juice, and I hope I don't have to remind you that this is sugar water for hummingbirds, not juice made from hummingbirds. Curse the squirrels. Go for a brisk walk with your binoculars and mark down all the birds you see or hear. Check the tire pressure on all the cars in the family every day. Eat a big meal with gusto, compliment the chef, and then do all the cleanup. Sit at the table for hours and hours and talk and talk and talk about whatever because you just love the company. And that's just a smattering of things you could do to celebrate Gordy. You could also sail around the world, hang out with Robert Redford, support women's rights. Oh, he would be so mad about the state of the country right now, believe you me. And he'd be my mom's bestie. The list is long. Here's the thing. My mom is blissfully unaware of my writing in these podcasts, and that's fine because I don't honestly think she could figure out how to listen to it anyway, and I'm not sure she'd like them. But I would have shared all of this with my beloved stepfather. He'd be so proud. Catherine often talks to me about how hard it was to lose someone who loved you unconditionally, and for her that was my father. But for me it was Gordy. I cannot think of one other person in my life who appreciated me as much as he did. 
I wish you all could have known him. Not everyone gets two great fathers in their lives. Some people don't even get one good one. I guess I was just lucky. Okay, at the farmer's market this week, black raspberries. I got eight pints and they're already in the freezer. I'm not sure what I'll do with them yet. Jam or maybe a syrup or both because I still have some in the freezer from last summer. One year I made black raspberry and lemon jam and it was so rich and dark and dense. Peaches are in and they're looking fine. They will get bigger and the white peaches will come in uh, soon too and I find them to be a little bit sweeter. I think I might make some peach sauce, which is so good on a plain cheesecake, or maybe peach salsa. Ben and I talked about the other day about this honey hot sauce that he had on a sausage from the farmer's market last weekend. And we probably will start looking into what we need to do to make that happen. There are lots of hot peppers in the freezer, so we could really do that any time. I wanted to make some sweet pepper relish, which we would always make a year's worth for Gordy on his birthday, but he's quite literally the only one we knew who liked it. At least if we make a coconut cake or some lemon curd, I'll eat that. Cucumbers are looking good too, and of course, regular relish and pickles are always fun to make. I wish I could make them snappy and crisp like the commercial pickle companies, but that requires a lot of special magic. So we stick with relish and dill pickle slices and then some spears, but they're really just not as good as the ones from the store. I don't say that about a lot of things, but dill pickles is definitely one of them. We've started seeing brown figs at the market too. Our fig trees are loaded with figs, but it'll be another few weeks at least before they're ready for picking. Corn is also available starting this week, and although I don't know what variety it is. We often will blanch it real quick and then cut it off the cob and freeze it. I did a gigantic clean out of the freezer this week, which means there's a lot of room for more stuff now, you guys. I haven't quite figured out how to preserve beets other than freezing. I guess I could pickle them. Ben is not a big fan of beets in any form, so if I get them, I usually share the bunch with my neighbor who takes the greens and a few beets, and then I roast one or two for myself. I think in order to can beets without pickling them, I would need a pressure canner because they're a low-acid food. Should I get a pressure canner? Tell me your thoughts on that. This morning's market in Warrington was kind of quiet, and I suspect it was because folks are still cleaning up from the storms I talk about at the top of the pod. They got hit really hard. We got a small cherry pie, pie from Sue's Pies, some blueberries, and some spring onions for some reason. I guess Ben has a plan for those. Tomorrow we'll go to the bigger market in Dale City. I've been very busy with the end of the fiscal year stuff at my job job. Plus, my bestie and his beloved out in Montana had a baby. Spoiler alert, they're moving back earlier than expected, and I am over the moon! I have also been working hard setting up all the social media for our vet, who is also a great friend of mine who is opening his own clinic. It feels good to be busy, but I'd really like to be getting more sleep. An update from the garden. I finally got all the plants that hadn't died from abject neglect, either in the ground or in pots, finally, and I just need to place them where I want them. I have picked three misshapen pickling cukes and about eight cherry tomatoes so far. There are some peppers, but they won't ripen for a few more weeks. The tomatoes are looking really good, though. So tomatoes love hot days and cool nights, and we've had that kind of weather all spring and into the summer, which is a treat. The last couple of years, it's just been hot days and hot nights, and the tomatoes do not love that. 
I seriously did not think that the garden would happen this year. I think that all the encouragement I get from you all is what moves me forward in all the areas of my life. When I'm feeling stuck, you are there cheerleading for me. So I thank you, my friends. I love you all so much. Okay, so how about the food holidays for the week? It's the end of June and July is right around the corner. So I mentioned last week that uh, today is National Strawberry Parfait Day as well as National Catfish Day, and I hope I don't need to suggest that these are two things that should be mixed together because they absolutely do not. Tomorrow, Sunday, June 26th, is Chocolate Pudding Day, and my sister Catherine makes the best homemade chocolate pudding, which she usually puts in her chocolate cream pie, and it is so delish. My father loved it. Gordy loved it too. We all loved it. It's a great pie. I wish I could fill my pool with it and just luxuriate in all that chocolate pudding. Monday is Indian Pudding Day, and this is a totally a fall holiday pudding, and so you have my permission to swap it out for whatever you want. It's also Orange Blossom Day, and I'm not someone who uses orange blossom water, but I'm interested in learning more about it. Do you use it for anything? Let me know. Tuesday is one of my favorites, National Tapioca Day. Tapioca is one of those things that's used in a lot of things, and you just don't know it because it's a thickener. But I love it as a pudding. But tapioca flour is also great because it's gluten-free, and we use it in this recipe for these little Brazilian cheese biscuit roll things that we once got in Hawaii at a food truck, and now we cannot live without them. And Trader Joe's actually has them frozen, and they're quite good. Wednesday is Almond Butter Crunch Day, and I am absolutely a fan in any form. Thursday, the last day of June, is National Ice Cream Soda Day. And I have to say that I've long been a fan of ice cream sodas. Back in the day when a big night out in my family was dinner at Lum's or Friendly's, but I probably have not had an ice cream soda in 175 years. I wouldn't even know where to order one. So this is getting really long, and I haven't even gotten to July's month-long holidays yet. So how about I do a mini pod next week with all of that information, like a little amuse-bouche, okay? Okay. So until then, I want you to stay hydrated, stay mad, and stay quiet if you get arrested. Don't say anything except, I want a lawyer. See you next week. Thank you.